Beach Bros Star Wars is presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender when you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text, over the phone, in person, or using the State Farm app. What about a hologram? I love a hologram. Find one today at statefarm.com. Once you have found your crystal, do not remain inside. As daylight ends, the door will freeze over again and you will be trapped. Does binge mode contain adult content? For one rotation, there will be nothing anyone can do for you. Do we need to be mindful of spoilers as well? Only you can know which one is yours. Now hurry. And now binge mode. Perhaps I was wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. It was foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last. I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to. We need not be adversaries. The Emperor will show you mercy if you tell me where the remaining Jedi can be found. There are no Jedi. You and your Inquisitors have seen to that. Perhaps this child will confess what you will not. I was beginning to believe I knew who you were behind that mask. But it's impossible. My master could never be as vile as you. Anakin Skywalker was weak. I destroyed him. Then I will avenge his death. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Hey, Sky Guy. <laughs> hey, Snips. Welcome to Binge World Star Wars. Proudly a part of the Ringer oh. Podcast Network. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of TheRinger.com. Oh, what a great website. It's a great fucking website. Joining me today, now that he's finished telling me he hates it when I call I him do, Snips. I really do hate it. It goes away <laughs> after a while, but I do hate it. It's Ringer Senior Creative, your Jedi Master. Jason Concepcion. Now, don't call me that. <laughs> call on Binge Mode Star Wars, where we're exploring the wider Star Wars universe from the Skywalker saga films to the anthology films to the Mandalorian, plus numerous other facets of a galaxy far, far away. Please make the journey to Shilly with us yes. by subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings. Yes. Or we'll send the sixth brother after you. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore. And join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans and which is an excellent place to practice your Shen-style saber grip. Hell yeah. Head over to theringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. Perfect. You're trying to blend in as fulcrum. Mm. Last time on binge mode, we explored the glorious mm. animated glorious. television Truly series. Glorious. Star Wars to Clone Wars. And today we're diving deep. Deep! Into our latest character study on Ahsoka Tano. Love her. The best. As always, spoiler warning. We will be going deep on details from Ahsoka's entire arc and the entire Star Wars saga to date. 
Take an official canon and legends hashtag not canon into account. So purify your kyber crystals. Kyber! <laughs> because it's time to fire up your shiny new white lightsabers. Mel? Yeah? I see Anakin's new teaching method is do as I say, not as I do. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's search our feelings and use the force. The defining theme of this episode is the life, lessons, and legacy of Ahsoka Tano. Hell yeah. Thank you, Snips. Snips. Thank you, Snips. Let's start where we always do with these character studies, with the invention of the character, how this character came to be. A lot of fascinating nuggets. Wow. So Ahsoka, a Tagruda female from Shili, was discovered by Plo Koon. Little Soka. <laughs> R.I.P. Plo. Man, Order 66, tough stuff. <laughs> Discovered at the age of three and brought to the Jedi Temple for training. Eventually, at the age of 14, mm-hmm. got the old, old tap from Master Yoda, became Anakin Skywalker's Padawan. One of his best choices from this era. How long he meditated on it, we will never know. But it actually worked out for once, Yoda. Who assigned her to Star Wars, though? Like so much else in Clone Wars, which is where we were introduced to Ahsoka, her origins trace to George Lucas and Dave Filoni. She was crafted for the beginning of the Clone Wars experience, which was, as we talked about in our Clone Wars pod, supposed to be episodes of the show, and then eventually became the theatric Film experience rocking an 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. Incredible stuff. (laughs) Good call, George. (laughs) In 2008. And then, obviously, the show unfolded from there. So that's when our journey with Ahsoka began. She was a formative part of Clone Wars and was meant to be from the jump. Before the premiere of season two of The Clone Wars, Dave Filoni appeared on Rebel Force Radio and had this really fascinating... (laughs) comment about the genesis of Ahsoka and George's creative influence in that Mm -hmm. regard. Quote, for me as a fan, at the introduction of Ahsoka, when we first discussed that, I remember saying to George, you know, Anakin doesn't have a Padawan. (laughs) If you can imagine saying that to him. Oh my God. You know, he says, Anakin Skywalker has a Padawan. And then Henry Gilroy, who helped develop the Clone Wars movie and also wrote some Clone Wars, kind of looked at each other like, okay, But Anakin doesn't have a Padawan. (laughs) And he just kind of paused and looked at both of us and said, Anakin has a Padawan. Oh, my God. Now, I suppose I could go on arguing this point and bring the textbooks in. But I preferred the choice to say, "Okay, why does he want to do that? And let me talk about it with him and let's see where we can go with this. This is incredible. It's really amazing stuff. (laughs) George. (laughs) Listen, George takes his fair bit of knocks throughout the conversations that we have. Love you, George. He is the basis of a running joke that uh, <laughs> that we have deployed liberally throughout this series. The dude still has it. Oh, my God. Still got it. That's what's so remarkable about this. On the one hand, there is that element of, okay, how much of Star Wars canon is plotted out, yeah. established, thought through in advance. Is this why we end up in midichlorian <laughs> territory, et cetera? But then you do have these moments of just pure awe where you say, you have 
this entire world yes. and a full sense of who these people are in your minds. And it's it's really remarkable. I mean, to, to imagine what Ahsoka would be like if she was not Anakin's Padawan, it's crazy to say that it fundamentally changes Anakin's character, but it absolutely. really does. It absolutely does. Both of them. Both of them. We're going to talk in yeah. a few minutes about how their bond is so central to understanding both of those characters. Speaking of George and the formation of Ahsoka in the first place, originally, interestingly, she was supposed to have a different character name. She was supposed to be named Ashla. And that name actually has a lot of meaning elsewhere in Star Wars now, among just some of them. One, that's the name of a Jedi youngling in Attack of the Clones. More importantly, two, that ultimately becomes the pseudonym that Ahsoka uses while she's on the run and in hiding following Order 66, the Siege of Mandalore. And we see that in her novel, Ahsoka, which we're going to be talking about quite a bit today. It's the 2016 E.K. Johnston tale that fills in a lot of that Mm. what happened to Ahsoka after Order 66 angst that we all have. Three, it is the Lasat word for the Force. If you have watched Rebels or studied Jason's selection for his Star Wars Quidditch team and thought about Zeb through those terms, you're familiar <laughs> with the Lasat people. Uh. <laughs> and number four, it's the word that Bendu uses to describe the light side of the Force. And Bendu is not the only one because in the formative days, Ashla was a nod to an original draft of Star Wars in which George Lucas had used that word as the name for the light side of the Force. And absolutely iconic George Nugget here from a 2015 Tom Schoen nude statesman piece called One Understand Star Wars, start here. Quote, Lucas elaborated on the notion there were Ashla forces and Bogan forces Mm. before the film's producer, Gary Kurtz, told him to simplify it. (laughs) (laughs) But... As Star Wars fans now know, these are ultimately the names that are used in Rebels, which we hear Bendu, who himself represents the center, explain to Kanan. A big, beautiful boy, Bendu. Love him. Giving this name to the character who became Ahsoka then was hugely meaningful, rich with symbolic significance, and also seeming to signify the magnitude and worth of the character from Lucas's perspective. Mm -hmm. Speaking of George, here's a great... He absolutely hated it moment from Uh, Ashley Eckstein, who voices Ahsoka, to StarWars.com in 2016 while reflecting on Ahsoka's journey and reintroduction. Quote, I remember the first couple of episodes, I'd be so nervous because I would get notes back and some of them were directly from George Lucas. So Dave would come back to a session and would say, you know, George feels this or George didn't like this. He didn't think this quite works. And it was still nerve wracking because there were a lot of takes and a lot of lines that didn't quite work. I can't imagine you're voicing this new character in Star Wars and all the trepidation that that takes on. I mean, Filoni has said a couple times in various interviews that introducing her would be rocky Mm -hmm. to the audience. They they, would take time for them to accept. They've all spoken openly about it. Yes. And just imagine now you're getting notes directly from the person from whose mind all of this springs. (sighs) And him saying like, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure. I would just be like, oh my God. George. George. (laughs) (laughs) In 2018, Henry Gilroy, who you mentioned a moment ago, who co-wrote Clone Wars, tweeted this little reveal about the name change. When we met with George to discuss the Bible, he changed Anakin's Padawan from Ashla to Ashoka. And in the tweet here, it is spelled A-S-H-O-K-A. After the Indian emperor of the Maurya dynasty, I later tweaked it to 
Ahsoka, and that is spelled the way we are now familiar with, to make her unique. Ashoka the Great as an influence for our Ahsoka is notable because legend has it that Ashoka the Great was a violent and conquering leader early in his reign who pursued war and, according to some tales, committed acts of wanton destruction. He later converted to Buddhism, however, and thereafter projected as a more peaceful and spiritual ruler who promoted the religion's expansion across the continent. The parallels are not perfect, of course, but there are some subtle connections to Ahsoka Tano leaving the Jedi Order and following her own path. The samurai influence that touched so much of Star Wars is also an impact on Ahsoka, of course, and continued to be as her character has evolved over time. In a StarWars.com Rebels Recon Inside Fire Across the Galaxy interview, while discussing Ahsoka's fulcrum reveal and her new design for Rebels, Dave Filoni said, quote, I'd been trying to get her to this kind of pseudo-samurai look, which is what Mm. her armor's based on now for quite some time. There was also another desire fueling Ahsoka's creation, and it is an important one that we are going to talk about at length later when we talk more about women in Star Wars. Creating a female character, a prominent female character who is going to have a meaningful role in this show. And that stemmed in part from George Lucas wanting to create a role model for his own daughters. This is from How Star Wars Conquered the Universe, the Past, Present, and Future of a Multi-Billion Dollar Franchise by Chris Taylor. Quote, George Lucas had two daughters, and he harbored a strong belief that science fiction and fantasy could and should appeal to pre-teenage girls. And thus, Asla, spelled differently here, by the way, was brought up in age and reborn as Ahsoka Tano, a.k.a. Snips, Padawan learner to Jedi Master Anakin Skywalker. So that's how Ahsoka came into our lives. Let's talk now about... Ahsoka's impact and why we and so many Star Wars fans love her so much. Ahsoka represents so much of what fans love about Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Heroism, talent and ambition, a beating heart and a moral center, the ability to stand on her own, taking guidance from your feelings, the courage to do what's right and not what is easy. Ah, the old Dumbledore Cedricism there, isn't it? And- When it comes right down to it, she does the right thing all the time. She certainly strives to, which is, you know, despite the there is no try, really ultimately all that counts. There's a fascinating series of interviews on StarWars.com from Dave Filoni in 2016. And in part two here of this Fates Fulfilled series, Filoni spoke about how much Ahsoka means to Star Wars fans, to so many people, and what it has been like to see that happen for the people who created her. He said, quote, What I like the most about Ahsoka is that any respect that she's gained, the character and the crew who had to work on her in the various shows had to earn. Nothing came easily. Nothing came for free. And I think that makes us like her even more. I don't know that we could have guessed the outcome all these years later. You can only hope that a character you create might mean that much to fans. In the lead up to the season two finale, people were literally pleading for her life on my Facebook and Twitter pages. I certainly value that, and I know my whole crew did. We are really, really grateful for the fan support from around the world. I can't imagine the feeling. It's amazing. It must be amazing. Oh my God. What an incredible feeling. (laughs) And it's such a testament to what they achieved and what they built, because that's the great gift of stories, is that these characters start to feel real to you. And to have had a hand in making that true, and especially in a story like Star Wars, where, as we've talked about so much throughout Binge Mode Star Wars, there's 
this opportunity to always invent and try something yeah. new, but also always the weight of expectations from the past. This is just an incredible achievement. We've had the pleasure of watching her grow from a child to a wizened soul. So and it's, key. It's almost like watching Arya in yes. Game of Thrones, the one-time like wise-ass, hot shot, mm-hmm. now a mature adult and a leader and a fierce warrior. Yes. And we got to see every step along the way. The investment you feel after a journey like that is really incomparable and inestimable. Ashley Eckstein to StarWars.com on the Rebels arc, quote, The Ahsoka from Clone Wars, the Ahsoka we grew to love, is still inside of her. That is who she is. But she's grown up and matured. It's like any of us. That teenager in all of us is still in there. Those hopes and dreams and personality quirks, we're all the same person. We were in our younger years is still there. It's still a part of who we are. It's just over time and life experience, we may react differently to certain things, think differently, talk differently, but the genesis of who we are is still there. So that's Ahsoka. It just undoubtedly fuels the level of investment because it does really feel like somebody who you have known for the course of her life. I think that there's something too about, you know, any interesting characters who's introduced in the midst of a story. Mm -hmm. It's very rare that you fall in love at first sight, like as an established fan of a a story. There's always going to be like, who's this? Who's this? Oh, yeah. And And I I mean, think about who she was paired with. Yes. Anakin and Obi-Wan? Absolutely. And I think some of that, the work done in fleshing out this character, which wins the fans over, it it just deepens that investment because – she won you over. She built that bridge where you're like, well, I'm not, I'm not sure about this. This is, you would react on an instinctive level on, in some cases because you'd be right. like, well, Stop this is taking char- minutes from Obi-Wan. Yeah, why are you taking <laughs> minutes from the characters that I know and love? These yes. are characters that I understand. You're introducing this new element that was never mentioned before. Right. This is high wire stuff, very risky. Totally. I'm not sure about this. And then for it to work, you're just like, you don't want to let go. Yes, I feel like the fact that they were so mindful of that feeling out yes. phase is a credit to their anticipatory instinct and ultimately to how this was able to work so well because they knew that it was going to reflect relationships in real life where you say, are you somebody I I want to care about, let alone actually do care about? But then as you hit each step along the way, you realize by the end that you've spent a lifetime with this person. It's just an incredible thing. Like we, We first meet Ahsoka as Snips, this bratty, kind of entitled Padawan, and then we watch her grow into a hero of the Clone Wars. And as we talked about in our Clone Wars pod, one of the things that's cool about the show in general, not just specific to her character, is fleshing out your understanding of what that time period was like. She's a huge part of that. Yeah. We watch her fall in love. We watch her come to the painful realization that everybody comes to at some point in their lives that sometimes loving somebody isn't enough, which is crushing. We watch her become disillusioned with the thing that she had devoted so much of her existence to. We see her leave the Jedi Order. We're going to talk about that a lot later today. We see her in her novel, her life on the run, hiding, sheltered, using a pseudonym, but still brave, bold, finding a way to help people. And then, of course, we see her become Fulcrum, emerge as this key warrior and leader in the Rebel Alliance, you know, this is a, a vastly bigger, but a version of Rogue One where you recalibrate your understanding of this thing you thought you knew. Ahsoka does that for us so many times. And another great Ashley Eckstein quote about this idea, about the investment that you feel because you've watched her grow and how true to life that is. This is from Star Wars Celebration in 2015, right after Ahsoka was reintroduced in <sighs> Rebels. She said, quote, 
man, this makes me emotional. This is intense. We're almost the same age. Even though she's in a galaxy far, far away, I have a lot of the same life experiences as her. And now she's coming back as this kind of mentor, this teacher. And I feel like more of the veteran, more the teacher now to the Young Rebels cast. It's kind of life imitating art. It's incredible. It is really amazing. (gasps) You know what else I've been really thinking about? Like, not to bring like the criticism of like Last Jedi and Luke's arc within that back into it. But I think, you know, all the really interesting Jedi lose their faith. Absolutely. All of them grow Qui-Gon, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan even, like at the end of everything. All of them question what they're doing and the direction of this organization and wonder how their own emotions and natural feelings as a person, how that's supposed to fit within this overarching philosophy and how can you do it without becoming either cold or enraged. Right, or going down the Anakin path. Yeah, and, and, and I it's think- a great point. And watching Ahsoka go through that journey is kind of like a, it's, it's a miniature version of the arc that we watch some of these really interesting Jedi also go through. Yeah, you're, you're, that's a really good point. And I, you're right, we don't have to totally relitigate yes. Last Jedi here. But as we spoke about then and revisited in the Rise of Skywalker pod, part of why we liked that choice so much for Luke is for that very reason, what you're saying, that- in a story especially that hinges on the weight and power of choice yeah. and agency and the courage to stand up and say, I'm going to do this thing because I know it matters, I know it's right, or I know it's what I have to do, comes from asking questions, comes from thinking about the nature of purpose. And Ahsoka really unlocks that yeah. in Star Wars. It's the most relatable, you know, Qui-Gon was a seasoned veteran by the time we meet him. Luke, his early years are iconic and just titanic. It's hard to get out from under the shadow of that and to try and fill in the blanks backwards about his loss of faith, I think is a challenge, even mm-hmm. though I found that choice to be quite interesting. But with Ahsoka, it's right in front and center. You understand. Everything You, you, you watch her journey to that place and to that crossroads and you just get it. It's so relatable. And also that contrast to Anakin, two people who yeah. both lost their ability to live their lives the way that they had been living them. Yes. And a reminder that the failing is not specifically asking the question or choosing to break away from the stricture. It is the obsessive need to control and that unnatural impulse to fend off the things that define humanity and existence that separate those two. That's such a great point. And to just once again return to the way those two characters complete each other and, and flesh out each other in such a perfect way, Anakin is living a double life. There's no way for him to square his secret life with Padme and what he wants to do as a Jedi. Mm -hmm. And Ahsoka sees this, understands this about him, and has so much empathy for that. And really, a lot of her decision is, I can't live the double life. I can't figure out a way to square these disparate strands of things. And I have to just figure out how to do that on my own. That's a great point. And think about the way people talk about Vader and Anakin. He's no longer Anakin. You know, yeah. Luke brings Anakin back right. to the surface again in Jedi. So for Anakin, it's a split. It's yeah. a total compartmentalization yeah. of who he was and who he then has to be. For Ahsoka, it is an evolution. It is a journey that reflects how the choices you make in life determine who you are and who yeah. you're going to be. 
Ahsoka is beloved. Yes. And the drumbeat for more Ahsoka has never gone away. In no. fact, it has only gotten louder and more rhythmic. Season seven <laughs> of Clone Wars looks to be, at, at least in the marketing, though we have some Obi-Wan, Anakin theories of our own. Yes. Largely Ahsoka-centric. You're my brother, Anakin! <laughs> Largely Ahsoka-centric, and the possibility of Ahsoka and Sabine searching for Ezra. Please. I mean, that's dangling out it ha- there. It, it's it out has there. to happen. That's too to much happen. of a cliffhanger to not take us there, whether it's in the comics. It's happening. Although it's got to be a show. Like, you got to do it in the show. It's happening. I mean, I would love to just bring back Rebels. Or make it its own show, but either. Hard same bring back <laughs> Rebels. Uh, in an August 2018 interview with comicbook.com, Filoni said, quote, I can't imagine not being involved in some way with what would happen to her. It's amazing. I mean, I, I can't imagine him not being involved. Adding regarding the prospect of an Ahsoka Sabine plot specifically. Please. Quote, I feel a responsibility to know and start to figure out what that story is because the fans seem really interested. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Like, (laughs) as I'm interested in it, whether it actually ever happens, I don't know yet, but I still think about it anyway. It's going to happen. Come on. It's going to like that's too. It's honestly just too much of a hook, too much of a cliffhanger. You got to do it. It has to happen. They know how much people care. They know how much people want it. It will happen at one point. Rosaria Dawson is out there tweeting about it. I stand by my Zoe Kravitz as Ahsoka take. Or, of course, let's have Ashley Eckstein, who has voiced Ahsoka this entire way, play her. Wouldn't that be amazing? incredible. Ahsoka was, as we have already talked about, introduced in large part because of what the character would do for Anakin. How that master Padawan relationship and seeing Anakin on the other side of that very familiar dynamic would position him newly for us. Not as the guy constantly questioning Obi-Wan and his orders, but as the mature leader rather than the brat. And it worked. It worked wonderfully. Ahsoka unlocks Anakin in a way that then goes on, we do not think this is an overstatement, that goes on to unlock all of Star Wars, given how much of Star Wars is about Anakin's tragic fall. So let's talk more about that Anakin-Ahsoka bond specifically. The function of unlocking, as we like to say, Anakin's character is someone we read for and and better understand. That's an absolutely crucial thing that she does. She's a code breaker. She uh, uh, sees the essence of him for us while also standing fully as her own character that we are then invested in. They they rise to meet each other a lot. You know, like they don't want to let each other down. What's that saying? Like, you meet people where they are. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. She never like judges Anakin for his failings or for the the choices that he makes within his own life that run counter to the teachings of the Jedi. And in a similar way, he understands that feeling of being held back. Mm-hmm. And he gives her the freedom, as we've said before, the freedom that he always wanted in the Padawan relationship within the Jedi. Yes, and as we as we also talked about in the Clone Wars pod, when he finds himself unable to do that, the inherent hypocrisy there is injected into the storytelling in a way that forces Anakin to assess how he acts, how he leads, what kind of decisions that he makes. It's an elemental bond. It really is. It's the, the, the one of the three most important relationships in his life at this point in the story. Obviously, his relationship with his mother and Shmi is... The one that, that right. all of this stems from, but Padme, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka are the three most important people in his life at this point in time. Let's talk about that trio in season three. I would the, love to. The Citadel. 
This is a great moment when after Ahsoka sneaks onto a mission, Obi-Wan says, I see Anakin's new teaching method is to do as I say, not as I do. This is an iconic moment from my handsome husband, cartoon (laughs) Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is, as usual, astute and observant and able to call Anakin out on his bullshit, but in a way that is like winning and sort of sweet. I love watching Obi-Wan watch Anakin and Ahsoka because you know, again, you and my brother, like Obi-Wan and Anakin love each other. And we get to see so much of the heart of their brotherhood and their friendship in Clone Wars. And as Obi-Wan observes Anakin, he is experiencing the same thing that we are, the same thing that we just discussed. He's seeing a completely different side of Anakin. And, you know, because we know of the prophecy and of those original conversations about the fear that people had around Anakin— we always know that anytime Obi-Wan is thinking about Anakin, there's a little voice in the back of his head that's concerned and worried. And so he's probably full of joy constantly seeing how good Ahsoka is for him. And you just witness the pride, the pride that he feels for seeing Anakin grow. It's a great point because, you know, they are as close as brothers, but there's a certain part of Anakin that Obi-Wan can't reach mm-hmm. Because of their relationship, you know, Anakin, you think about like the way he uh, feels about his mother, about Padme, he wants to guide and protect. Yes. And Ahsoka, as independent and as ambitious and as able to stand and fight for herself as she is, because of that Padawan teacher relationship, is able to reach that kind of protector instinct within Anakin, that instinct to guide and teach and unlock like another part of him that's elemental. Yeah. And that will hopefully, from Obi-Wan's perspective, allow Anakin to gain newfound appreciation and understanding for what Obi-Wan was always trying to do for him. How the things that often drove Anakin to that, he's holding me back place came from real love and affection and a desire to not only guide and tutor, but of course, protect. And Anakin, despite the hardships in his life, has never been someone who thought he needed to be protected. He's always thought of himself as a protector and held himself most accountable when he failed in that respect. And that is at the heart of this trio. Yeah. They teach each other. They grow towards each other. They make each other better. And when they do finally separate, I, I think we both. Ag- I, I think we both agree. Not only is it a heartbreaking moment to watch and to experience after all that they've been through together, but it's an important step towards accelerating Anakin's eventual break and turn to the dark side. It's yes. like pulling the brakes out yes. of a car that's going downhill. That, totally. And one of the really remarkable things about Ahsoka's novel is that we realize that she does not know. She does not know what happened to Anakin. She does not know about the duel on Mustafar. She does not know that he is Vader. She does not even know if he's alive. And she thinks about him and reflects on their relationship and harps on the gap in her life regularly throughout this novel. Here are just a couple snippets that really speak to this impact. Quote, Now the weight of her lightsabers in her hands was reassuring, but she would have traded them both for Anakin's presence in a heartbeat. Another quote here. She was alone, something she was never meant to be. This is like devastating. Another one. Quote, she felt completely alone in the force, except for the dark nothingness that stared back at her 
every time she tried to connect with Anakin or any of the others. More than anything, she wanted a ship to appear for Anakin to track her down or one of the other Jedi to find her. Another one. She thought about her master, whom she could no longer sense, and the other Jedi whose absence was like an open airlock in her lungs. You know, think about not just the nature of human connection, but the nature of connection through the Force. And when that aspect of being able to connect to somebody in a way that is unrivaled Mm -hmm. and is as deep as the energy inside of you and around you is suddenly gone when you can't feel that anymore and you can't reach that anymore. That's not just saying goodbye to somebody. That is the absence of the building blocks of your prior life. When they meet again on Malachor in the Rebels season two finale, Twilight of the Apprentice part two, it is spine-tingling, chill-inducing stuff. It's unbelievable. Filoni to StarWars.com in 2016, after the season two finale, Twilight of the Apprentice says, quote, Ahsoka doesn't fear Vader. She fears for her friend and that he's become this terrible thing. So she's trying to give herself the power to destroy him. I don't think she would ever believe that Anakin was capable of being Darth Vader if she didn't see him under the mask and hear his real voice. Ahsoka! I'm about to sob. It's it's an, it's, (laughs) oh my God. It's just an incredible moment. It's Star Wars. (gasps) One of the great marvels of Ahsoka's character, of course, is that while one of her primary functions is to build this bond with Anakin and unlock him for us in this way, she also emerges as a force completely in her own right. This independent, brash, bold, utterly skilled badass. She stands on her own and she helps us better appreciate others, which is to say, in Star Wars terms, she brings balance. Yes. Her distinct lightsabers, of course, her battle prowess, they make her cool. Just ineffably cool. She's got some, like, Han-level cool outfits for a Jedi. Yes. Her style. Yes. Both in terms of the things she wears, as you're saying, but also the style, the way in which she conducts and carries herself. You know, her attitude. Like, fans might not have loved the early Snips era, but they came to respect and admire and crave that tenacity that she constantly exudes. And the creators thought a lot about how the Anakin bond would work and the skill level comparison between the two characters and thought about how that had to be kept in mind throughout Rebels in 2016 following Ahsoka's incredibly epic and heartbreaking duel with Vader. Filoni spoke to StarWars.com about how the creators weighed the reality of who they could even pair Ahsoka with on the screen. Quote, we used to have this problem in Clone Wars when we would try to put Yoda in a story and it'd be like, yeah, if Yoda's there, this isn't really a problem, is it? (laughs) (laughs) That's because Yoda's going to go in there and kick everyone's butt. We all felt that Ahsoka, the only person that could really match her in this time period, blow for blow, would be Vader or the Emperor. This is amazing. (laughs) So that was why you didn't see her much. And when she showed up, it was purposeful. It had meaning again. You always have to serve your story. And the best way we could do that was by actually limiting Ahsoka in the story. So when she showed up, you knew it was going to be important. I would say that that's like a masterclass in how to pace oh story God. and understanding how to weight your characters within a narrative because that is absolutely right. Like the, yes. the the instinct would be, we've got this cool character, we created her, let's use her. Right. No, you we, built her up to that level and you, you have to hold her back. Yes, the discipline yes. required to execute that vision 
must have been extraordinary, but it stems from how well they understand and know the character because they're right. She would be that good. She always was that good. And at this point in her life, after the things that she's been through and survived and had to deal with, had to contend with, she's a master. Yes. She might not have become a Jedi master. She doesn't have the title. But she is a master. And of course, she also pairs that uncommon skill, her prowess as a warrior, with her heart. She's not this cold fighter who only thinks about war. And there are plenty of those in Star Wars. And one of her relationships with a character you would typically think of in that fashion, a clone trooper, really helps to illuminate this. Ahsoka's relationship with Rex. It's beautiful. Who we're going to talk about a lot on our Rebels pod, and spoiler, is alive and well and in all of Rebels. I mean, he's just, he's got, you know, his joints ache. Now he's old, but he's he's got the aches and pains. But other than that, committed great. And he's committed to Ahsoka, their bond, her ability to appreciate Rex as a person, as an individual, not just part of this faceless mass, separated her. Now, obviously, Rex has great affection for Anakin, who he talks about glowingly and regularly throughout Rebels, just like Kanan. You're not as good as Anakin. Great stuff. But the way that he appreciates the heart that Ahsoka showed is very, very notable. And then, of course, Ahsoka is a strong woman, a girl who we watch become a woman as not just a character who's in the mix, but as a protagonist, as a central figure. And that is extraordinarily meaningful to many, many people. And it is not something that Star Wars has has always excelled with, not always been the strength. And that gets us to Ahsoka's archetype and that archetype's influence on Star Wars at large. Women in Star Wars. Ahsoka was certainly not the first woman in Star Wars. Obviously, we have all loved Princess Leia for 43 years at this point. And in some ways, though, obviously not in all ways. They're very different and their roles are very different. Ahsoka is part of the Leia tradition. She is one of three pillars in the main trio in a story, one of these stars. Similarly, similarities and differences to Padme. And Padme is, of course, not a force user, not part of the Jedi Order, but she is connected to the same Mm -hmm. central figures. She is involved in the war effort on the front lines. She is someone who has full faith in the courage of her convictions and is willing to do the difficult thing. And given the fact that Padme and Ahsoka have closest relationships in their life to the same person, but don't get to talk about that openly, even though they are themselves very close and often out in the field together, is quite a fascinating thing. And then, of course, Ahsoka influenced many of the characters who came after her, starting with... How about Rey? In the sequel trilogy, 2015, in his 2016 interview with StarWars.com, Filoni talked about the magnitude of Ahsoka's impact in this regard. Quote, I hope through Ahsoka, we showed fans that the universe has many possibilities. We had her wielding a lightsaber and going toe-to-toe with the big baddies of the galaxy years ago. I like to think that Ahsoka paved the way for a character like Rey. It's great that kids have so many options and strong characters to emulate. They're interesting, diverse personalities that have opinions, strengths, and weaknesses. They are a reflection of our real world, which is how it should be. Uh, The films also gave us Rose. Not all heroes have to be Force users, as Padme and Rose and many others remind us. There are a lot of ways to be a hero. And Maz, like Ahsoka, non-human, which Mm -hmm. is 
also a crucial Star Wars ingredient. And of course, the story excels when it reminds us of how so many different kinds of people can band together in service of doing what's right. Yes. There's also Jin, of course, from Rogue One 2016. Another non-Force user who was in the thick of the effort to thwart evil. Lies! <laughs> Deception. You coming to kill me, huh? And even though Star Wars films feature some prominent women and have done so increasingly in recent years, thanks to Rogue One and thanks to the sequel trilogy, the animated shows really, really, really helped to shift this and improve what Star Wars was doing in this area. So Ahsoka was introduced in 2008, remember. Ventress, of course, was also a key part of Clone Wars. A female villain, by the way. Important to get a villain as well here. Who else, though? Bo-Katan in Clone Wars also plays a key role in Rebels. And then when we look at the main cast of Rebels, Hera and Sabine. Hera, my beautiful emerald skin beauty. Incredible. I love her. She's, She's incredible. Great. She's great. Yeah. Beautiful eyes. Incredible eyes. Sabine, of course, yes. our uh, Mandalorian graffiti artist and explosives expert. Now in the live action TV era, we have Cara Dune. Yes. In the Mandalorian. And beyond the films and shows, there's many characters to point to in novels and comics and video games like Aiden Versio, Ray Sloan. You Darth love Trey. Ray Sloan. I, Ray Sloan, very interesting. Obviously, a complex legacy in helping to begin the First Order. That said, really compelling character. FYI, every yeah. time I pull a that said about Fox Hawks, you give me grief. What do you mean? That said, I mean, well, he... Uh, yeah. Hux, Hux, uh, I'll say this about Hux just to give him... He was, like, indoctrinated as a child into this. Like, You're right. Nature versus nurture is an interesting philosophical conversation to have vis-a-vis Star Wars, but, like, Hux, there's a lot of nurture there. Ahsoka's role in the story does not center on being on her character being sexualized. This and is that's, crucial. It's meaningful. That's continued with characters like Rey and Jin and Hera and Sabine and so many more. Yes. Now, that list is, of course, not a comprehensive rundown of every single woman in Star Wars or every female character who in some way influenced or was influenced by Ahsoka. There's a 2018 book called Star Wars Women of the Galaxy Amy Ratcliffe is the author, and in this, she explores the history of women in the Star Wars saga. There are 75 character profiles, and she spoke to StarWars.com about creating this, about the purpose of it, about the influences and inspirations for it. She said, quote, with Women of the Galaxy, I want to celebrate female characters across the galaxy, from the ones fans know incredibly well, like Leia and Padme, to lesser-known women, like V. Marathi or your girl, Jason. Aura Singh. Hello. (laughs) The characters in the book have a range of alignments, professions, and traits, and they all offer so much to the universe. Every one of them is important. I think of the entries as being part celebration and part bio. This is really, really cool, and we applaud it. And we, just like the author, want to acknowledge Ahsoka's elemental role in getting us in Star Wars to a place where something like this book is possible. Says Amy Ratcliffe, quote, I became obsessed with Star Wars because of Ahsoka Tano. I'm so happy a book celebrating her and the female characters in the galaxy with words and new illustrations exists. This is just amazing. Ahsoka is part of some other crucial archetypes as well, including the archetype of the Padawan. We understand the unique Padawan bond 
in large part through her relationship with Anakin. She is, of course, fiercely loyal, although maintaining her agency throughout. She wants to push to teach and to learn as well. Yes. And the thrill of watching the student become the master, even though that's not literally the case within the structure of the Jedi Order, so to speak, is one, simply an iconic trope within stories writ large. Yes. And absolutely compelling to watch in this particular case. Yes. Part of what's so cool about Ahsoka is we get to go on that journey. We get to yes. watch her grow up. In Clone Wars, she's what Anakin used to be for us and what Rey becomes for us. And in Rebels, it, all of a sudden, she is just something completely else. Yes. She's the Obi-Wan kind of guide to Ezra and Kanan. I love that. I love that. It's incredible. There's also the headstrong prodigy archetype in Star Wars, obviously like Anakin and so many others. You know, think of Ahsoka's first stunt as a commander, disobeying an order to retreat and losing so many of her troops in the process. It was not always perfect for her, but that's part of the appeal. Her boldness, her confidence sometimes could be costly, but she learned from that. She began to internalize that into her calculus and again... The characters that we love the most are not the ones who represent some unachievable yes. ideal. They're the ones that we can see something of ourselves in. And part of the joy is watching that maturation. The skill is unique, of course, but the growth is really what is most rewarding, especially with an innovative thinker like this, someone for whom functional fixedness is never a problem. You yeah. know, you throw Anakin into a situation, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, so many of these other characters in Star Wars are too. Chopper. <laughs> Oh my God, my beautiful boy chop. Jumpy! They will find a way through. And it won't always be pretty. Sometimes it will be painful. But there's no quit. And again, leaving the Jedi Order was not quitting. It was recognizing something about herself and the world. Absolutely. It was the correct decision for her. Yes, and that gets us to the next archetype, which is somebody who asks questions. Right. She is not, just like Anakin, Qui-Gon before him, not a blind adherent to... Jedi philosophy or any kind of authoritative statements writ large at all. She always questions things. And that's so important, not just for the makeup of her character, but in a story sense, it's so crucial to have that person being like, well, why is this the case? Why is that the case? Totally. To flesh out the world, to give you that natural doorway to exposition within a story. Yeah, part of it is acting as the avatar for the audience. Yeah. And part of it is that you are able to believe in somebody more if they ask the things that you would want to know. And again, a, a, by this time, by the time of the Clone Wars series, the idea and the image within the popular consciousness of what a Jedi is was just iconic and fixed. And so it was so crucial to have this character open up these pathways for more thoughtful and nuanced considerations of what that means to be within that organization. Yes. She's more open-minded than many about various views within the war. Lux's relationship opened her eyes to the Separatists not being this kind of homogeneous bunch of evildoers, although that had a lot of ins and outs, that whole relationship. Yeah. Oh, Lux. <laughs> and in general, not a binary thinker. Curious, right. this is um, empathic about different points of views, Willing to meet people where they are, as we said, and understand their motivations. Yes. Unafraid to challenge the norm, to challenge convention, to find her own way. Never 
buys into the bullshit without thinking about why it's bullshit first. There's a, a great little snapshot of this from her novel in a section that I am very fond of, which is Obi-Wan's introspective yeah. moments. And it's deeply sad. This one line specifically is about Ahsoka as he's thinking back. Quote, there was Ahsoka, her hands on her hips, challenging him at every turn. That was definitional yeah. for her. Her decision to leave the Jedi Order is, of course, the ultimate representation of this, but it it was a consistent aspect of her character the entire way and, and has remained so. And in Ahsoka, her novel, she tells Bale, Organa, quote, this makes me really sad. Yeah. That's what I thought when I was trying to find the crystals that power my lightsabers. I didn't want to be alone, but I didn't want to be a general or even a Padawan anymore. I want something in the middle of that. Still useful, but different than before. She has always been different. Archetypal, part of a great tradition, but also a mold breaker. Utterly unique. Return reroll after a word from our sponsors. Binge about Star Wars. It's presented by State Farm. State Farm agents know that sometimes life throws everything at you at once. Like a fender bender. When you're already late. When it comes to auto and home insurance, State Farm agents are there for you. Talk to one of our 19,000 State Farm agents via text, over the phone, in person, or using the State Farm app. Find one today at statefarm.com. Today's show is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. It's a new year! The perfect opportunity to take your business to the next level by hiring the right people! New year, same stars. That's right. Same, same, wars. same wars, same stars. But finding qualified candidates can be challenging. Oh, yeah. ZipRecruiter.com slash binge makes it easy. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. Great way to find a Padawan here, by the way. ZipRecruiter is so effective. How effective is it? Hey, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. It's so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. Wow. At this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash binge. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash B-I-N-G-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash binge. That's beautiful. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now back to binge mode. Jason? Yes? You're reckless, little one. (laughs) You never would have made it as Obi-Wan's Padawan, but you might make it as mine. So please gather the Padawan learners. Head to the Jedi Temple. Teach us everything we need to know about the path of the Padawan. Ah, the path of the bad one. After a youngling takes part in the gathering, finds their kyber crystal, assembles their lightsaber, and passes the Jedi initiate trials, they become a Jedi apprentice. Now, fun fact about Padawans and apprentices. All Padawans are apprentices, but not all apprentices are Padawans. Mm, The old rectangle square. That's right. But the path of the warrior peacekeeper is not for 
every apprentice. Some have no aptitude for combat, so other rules more befitting their talents must be found. And we'll talk about what those might be in a bit. But those with the potential to become frontline Jedi Knights are selected by a full-fledged Jedi who will then be responsible for completing their training of this apprentice who is now referred to as a Padawan. This new stage of a Jedi's training is symbolized by the Padawan braid. Who could forget young Obi-Wan's stringy braid hanging down the right side of the back of his head? No one. In the Phantom Menace. For members of species without hair, like Ahsoka Tano, no worries. Other ornamental devices can stand in for the braid. Ahsoka wore a simple strand of beads draped over her head tails, for instance. Padawans with horns have worn a single metal ring. Tattoos and piercings are also considered acceptable adornments for those without hair. Once a Padawan graduates to Jedi, the braid is ceremonially removed. If, as with Ahsoka when she was framed for the bombing of the Jedi Temple, a Padawan is dishonorably ejected from the order, the braid or ornament is forcibly torn off. Any organization that has existed for thousands of years must, by definition, be adaptable. So it is with the Jedi, who we often think of, particularly during the years of the Clone War crisis, as static and conservative when it comes to Jedi traditions and philosophies. But in certain ways, the Jedis have always been very, very flexible. And one of those ways is in the rules governing the Padawan system, which have changed over the years. In ancient days, according to Legends canon, Jedi masters could take more than one apprentice on at a time. Masters were free to train their apprentices as they saw fit without any input or oversight from the Jedi Council. After the Great Sith War, as the Jedi became more organized, a set of rules covering a great many topics was hammered out. The so-called Jedi Code is a codification of the Jedi philosophy in verse form, along with catchy couplets like, there is no emotion, there is peace, there is no ignorance, there is knowledge. Yeah. The code contains a number of unmentioned but no less crucial tenets that are considered part of the Jedi Code. One of these is the rule that a Jedi may only take one Padawan at a time. During this time, a master could select their Padawan. During the Clone Wars, when the Jedi were spread thin across the galaxy, the Council took for itself the sole authority to assign Padawans. Padawans of this era, as we saw, were given tremendous responsibilities. The path from Padawan to Jedi Knight takes around a decade to complete, the relationship between master and Padawan is more than just a simple passing of information and experience from a teacher to a student. It is one in which the master learns and grows as well. Yes. For instance, Yoda selected Ahsoka as Anakin's Padawan because he felt that the ambitious, eager, and formidable apprentice would help young Skywalker build emotional bonds and also learn how to let go of fear and mm -hmm. attachment as well. He was right in some ways. He was certainly right. It did do that. Unfortunately, the way it ended unquestionably helped accelerate young Skywalker's turn to the dark side. Tough. It, it is a tragic story. Padawans were expected to accompany their masters on missions in order to gain practical experience in the field. They would be expected to support their masters in all affairs that a Jedi might encounter and to dutifully follow their master's instructions. For Ahsoka, during her time as Anakin's Padawan, that meant activities as varied as training local rebel fighters, rescuing hostages and political prisoners, commanding clone troopers, dueling Sith and Sith adjacents, guarding emissaries, gathering intelligence, training younglings, among many, many, many other duties. At long last, once their master believes them to be ready, the Padawan undertakes their final tests, the Jedi Trials. Yes. 
The test covered nine areas that a Jedi must master. Teamwork, isolation, fear, anger, betrayal, focus, instinct, forgiveness, and protection. Not Honestly, much, sounds like making a podcast. It really does. <laughs> Not much beyond this is known in current canon about the trials themselves. We don't really understand how they're structured or how they're laid out or how these tests are applied. In Legends... The trials encompassed five challenges, testing skill, courage, spirit, flesh, and insight. And perhaps we can glean some knowledge about how the current trials work from these. In Legends, a Padawan had to display physical, mental focus, and battle prowess in each of the five areas. The physical component is similar to Luke training with Yoda. Lots of parkour and climbing and acrobatics and backflips. Mental focus entails moving objects precisely with the force while under duress. Think of Luke doing handstands while Yoda stands on his foot and he's stacking rocks. Finally, combat is just that, a battle with a live lightsaber against enemies, either on the field of war or against specially programmed droids or holographic enemies. Real-world experience, such as the loss of a limb in a duel or a scar from battle or taking part in actual combat, were important factors in the trials of skill courage, and the flesh. In other words, if you got your arm chopped off during a battle and survived, you would be seen to have passed the trial of the flesh. Uh The trial of the spirit, in which a Padawan would be tempted or confronted by their own dark side urges, was similar to what Luke faced in the Cave of Evil. And the trial of insight involved using the Force to solve puzzles and see through illusions or unlock deeper hidden truths. The trial of the flesh is what I go through every time I look at (laughs) Obi-Wan. Hello. (laughs) We do know that the trials were malleable and changed according to the needs of the Order at a given time. During the Clone Wars, when even Padawans were given the rank of commander Mm -hmm. and participated in battles across the galaxy, the trials were essentially abandoned. Instead, the Jedi Council would just decide to graduate a Padawan when it was deemed that they had proven themselves In some way, for example, the council simply decided that Ahsoka's false charge for bombing the Jedi Temple and the trial that followed constituted in itself her, quote, great trial, which she passed. And of course, Ahsoka had other ideas about the importance and meaning of that particular trial and would leave the order soon after. Another open question in current canon is what form Padawan training and the Jedi trials took after Order 66 and the short-lived reformation of the Jedi Academy under the leadership of Luke Skywalker. We know that Luke secluded his charges, including his nephew, Ben Solo, a quorum named Henix, and humans Ty and Vo, presumably among many others, on an as-of-yet unnamed planet. We also know, according to Marvel's Star Wars, The Rise of Kylo Ren, issue number one, that Luke's Academy was destroyed one night after Luke peered into Ben's mind causing the young Solo, who thought Luke meant to kill him, to rebel, leading to a chain of events that led to the deaths of Luke's students. Now, according to the Legends book Jedi vs. Sith, the tenets of Luke's academy, or Jedi Praxium, were as follows. The Force is to be used to save lives, not take lives. The Force should never be used for personal gain, so stop gambling with the Force and using it to affect the dice rolls. (laughs) Every Jedi has a vote in making decisions for the group. Very interesting as a way to uh, kind of water down the power of the Jedi Council. The Jedi should work to support and maintain the New Republic, but not at the expense of Jedi ideals. 
If the Jedi are called upon to fight, they will defend the helpless without hatred, anger, or thoughts of revenge. Now, Legends Canon says that in 28 ABY, nearly 20 years after Endor, Luke organized a new Jedi Council, and this time the group would include political leaders as well as Jedi. What will Rey's Jedi Praxium look Mm -hmm. like? What will its organizing principles be? How will she treat the relationship between the Padawan and the Master? We'll have to wait and see. Mal, I'm sorry, Master, but I'm not coming back. So while I'm still here, let's roll like BB-8 through eight of our favorite Ahsoka moments lightning round style. Number eight. Escaping from the Trandoshan hunters, those pesky Trandoshans. so annoying, these little freaking lizards. (laughs) So this is from The Clone Wars. Yes. Season three, episodes 21 and 22, Padawan Lost. Exceptional title. Love it. Love a literary reference. And Wookiee Hunt. And in these episodes, Ahsoka is captured during the Battle of Felucia by Trandoshan hunters and taken to Waska, the forest moon of Trandosha, to serve as prey in a Trandoshan rite of passage. I'm against this. <laughs> Don't do this. Why are we doing this? Come on. I support your stance. Yeah. She quickly finds out that she is not alone. Other prisoners are with her there on transport to the moon. And though many of them are dispensed with alarming ease and quickness. Yeah, they don't last long. They arrive at the Hunter Games-esque moon arena, and she realizes while hiding that these Trandoshans collect Jedi younglings to hunt. Most dangerous game, anybody? (laughs) Three others, Khalifa, Omer, and Jinx, have been hiding together since their capture in a training mission, surviving, but desperately afraid and hopeless. Good old Wiz Khalifa. That sense of dejection that those three younglings have is totally anathema to Ahsoka when she encounters it and continues to be even when she realizes that she has been chosen to be the trophy for Dar, who is the son of the Trandoshan leader, Garnak, and is, and we're being charitable, a real fucking dummy. He's a fucking moron. (laughs) Ends up getting killed by a twig, as we'll get to momentarily. (laughs) Tough way to go. Impaled on a large thorn. Very, very tough. (sighs) But quickly, Ahsoka's determination and her skill ignite hope in her fellows. That's infectious. And they turn to her for her leadership, her ability to plan. And Ahsoka, far from giving in to their despair or her own despair, forms a plan to escape. She is a Jedi of action, Jason. When Ashoka kills Dar on the aforementioned thorn. Such a tough way to go. Tough look for my guy, Dar. <laughs> Garnak, proud papa, just flies into a fit of rage. Heartbreaking moment for Garnak. <laughs> really tough stuff. Kills Khalifa. Again, the series of tough events here is mounting. Yeah. <gasps> the situation is escalating. And it really becomes clear to Ahsoka and to us that the other younglings, their lives are in her hands. It's going to be up to her to get them out of this and to save them. This fight leads to an unexpected and surprising ally. How about our good friend, Chewbacca? (laughs) Dicks out (laughs) for Chewie. Animated dick. Whom Ahsoka (laughs) frees from a Trandoshan prisoner transport, which she has attacked. 
It's one of those, first of all, Chewie always in prison. I know. Poor it's, guy. Know. It's heartbreaking. I know. Chewie. Oh, constantly in prison, this he guy. He just wants to play hollow chess and like leak his swamp ass all over the <laughs> Millennium Falcon bench. It's one of those great Star Wars moments where characters we love and never think we'll see together somehow find themselves united in common causes. It happens a lot in yes. the Clone Wars. It's so great. Chewie. Always finding solutions. Yeah. You know, he's not about pointing out problems. He's about finding answers. Built a transmitter from the wreckage of the transport, and he does it so that he can try to contact Kashyyyk, his homeworld, which is close. So they might be able to get a signal there, they think. And it works, though crucially, they don't know that it works at first. And so their next series of actions stems from a place of thinking it failed. Just when all seems lost, Wookiee help arrives. And Wookie help. Me too. A massive fight ensues around them. And in the midst of that, Ahsoka bests Garnak in single combat. Garnak never had a fucking chance. She got the father-son set. Yeah, come on. Although Chewie's tech-savvy, Khalifa's blessing, and Jinx and Omer's vengeance-fueled final push all proved key. And ultimately, surviving this ordeal is a pivotal moment in Ahsoka's arc. A hugely important stretch for her as an improvisational thinker and... Yes. Newly minted leader. Yep. Her courage and heart are on full display. And we see how people are just naturally inspired by her, just as Anakin and the other Jedi Masters have long inspired her. Yes. And speaking of Anakin, Sky there's guy. a Sky Guy wrinkle that makes this entire Trandoshan sequence even more memorable in Ahsoka's overall arc. Because while it obviously stands out that she is able to survive and save others on her own, that's the main point— she is still so connected to her master, who is just a fucking wreck the entire time she's gone. He's afraid for her. He's desperate to find her. He sends out search parties. And then when they have to call them off, he needs a pep talk, basically, from Plo Koon, who also obviously has a bond with Ahsoka because he found her when she was three, encourages Anakin and finally convinces him to trust in his Padawan's abilities, that it's a test for Anakin, too, to be able to believe in her enough to just chill and wait. When Ahsoka finally makes it back to Coruscant and sees Anakin, he's overjoyed, but also deeply apologetic, blaming himself for her capture. It's key, reminding us of how Anakin shoulders the burden of protecting those he loves, like his mother and Padme. Mm. Ahsoka tells him that he was with her, in a way. Quote, when I was out there all alone, all I had was your training and the lessons you taught me. And because of you, I did survive. And not only that, I was able to lead others to survive as well. And in one of the most tender mm. moments of the series, Incredible. they bow to each other, a sign of mutual respect and understanding and love, both more mature and assured than before, yeah. and both more grateful for each other than before as well. They walk off together as Yoda observes their bond and smiles, all going along Yoda's plan. Meditate he, on it, he will. He put this together. It's really a lovely moment. The opening epigraph of the finale of this season is a great student is what the teacher hopes to be. And we really feel that idea here in this sequence with Ahsoka showing that great independence and that great aptitude out on the forest moon, but through her actions, also reinforcing her bond with Anakin. They taught each other. They helped each other. It's just very special. Number seven. Yes. Battling Death Watch. And refusing to leave Lux. Fucking Lux. Uh, this is from Clone Wars Season 4, Episode 14, A Friend in Need. Mm. An action and emotion-packed episode that stands out when thinking about Ahsoka's journey for several reasons. First, there's Ahsoka's relationship with Lux. Why is there? A little heat there. 
a through line <laughs> of her arc that morphs from a almost cute. Yeah, first crush. You know, like school crush. Totally. To like real longing and real pain and real heartache, but yes. also very relatable realization that sometimes it's just not going to happen. It's just not in the cards. That's the real shit. Yeah. <laughs> this episode comes on the heels of that initial meet-cute, which had happened in season three's Heroes on Both Sides, when Ahsoka meets Lux, who is the son of a separatist senator, and in the course of meeting him and getting to know him, really grapples with the fact that the war is not neatly divided, as so many people who are involved in it would have you believe, into these easy camps of right and wrong, good and bad. Everyone is fighting for something, and certainly not always doing so in noble ways, but also not always in ways that make it fair to then lump them in with their nominal fellows and allies. Lux is often misguided and doing incredibly stupid shit, including in this episode, but he represents that really important idea. In A Friend in Need, Lux finds himself in peril after announcing at a summit on Mandalore that Dooku had his mother killed. Ahsoka, fearful for his safety, tells Padme that they need to help him, and Padme basically says, Go with God. Yeah, do whatever you think. But Lux doesn't want help, despite Ahsoka being in her winter outwear best. She looks great. What an incredible jacket. She actually- Han on Hoth-esque. Her wardrobes throughout, like Mm -hmm. from Clone Wars to Rebels, are incredible. She's got like these cool like boots like that go Mm -hmm. above the knee with this kind of like tunic that drops down and like the straps and everything showing the arms off. Yeah. Looks great. Great improvement from the initial tube top. The tube top was tough. Glad we graduated beyond that. But like, I also appreciated it in terms of like realistically depicting like the awkward teenage years. That's it's true. like, yeah, you're not right. really knowing how to dress. I could see someone in eighth grade wearing that. I yeah. mean, in the movie eighth grade and also in actual eighth grade. But Lux doesn't want help. He is a real dick drawing a blaster on her and taking control of their ship and stealing her lightsabers. Jesus. The play-by-play matters less than the impetus behind it. Despite being isolated in an unfamiliar place, despite Lux acting like an alarming ingrate, despite <laughs> actually being in real danger, she refuses to leave. Yeah. Her fierce determination defines her character, especially when it concerns those that she loves or those in need, as the locals are in this episode. Yes. We really feel that here. There is also the battle Woo! with your boy. Hey, well, hold on. He's not my boy. You're one and only. I'm... Previsla. I'm not a fan of Death Watch in this series. <laughs> I, I think I'm on record about this. I am a new Mandalorian fella. <laughs> Satine and the new Mandalorians, I think I'm with that program. Me too. R.I.P. Satine. And Death Watch, the group, it turns out that Lux was and is flying to meet in a plot to lure Dooku to the Mandalorian warriors so that he'll be destroyed. Of course, Death Watch is a terrorist group, not the company you want your maybe boyfriend to keep. And by this point in the series, in Clone Wars, we've already seen Obi-Wan battle Visla and engage with Darksaber. So once R2, who is busy in this episode raising a droid army of his own to come intervene, returns Ahsoka's lightsabers to her, we see her duel with equal skill to what Obi-Wan was able to do against previously. She's not just... Defending Lux, she's defending the innocence of Karlak, who are trapped under Death Watch's oppressive thumb. She goes toe-to-toe with Visla, with Bo-Katan, and Death Watch is no small matter, nope. and manages to blow 
previous jetpack and escape with Lux and R2. Amazing it's, when she's like, I didn't miss. I love it. Slashed it. It's Whoa. a visually arresting sequence, lights and flame flashing in the dark and a stark display of her power and her really impressive skills. Yes. And it's coupled with a clear reminder that despite her loyalty to Anakin, she's an independent thinker. Mm-hmm. She's on Karlak because she wants to be, not because the Jedi told her to. Let's just quickly, yeah. the people that she's gone toe-to-toe with, Maul, mm-hmm. Asajj, Visla, Bo-Katan, Darth, full Darth Vader. Vader. Yeah. Has bested multiple <laughs> Inquisitors? Yes. With ease? Palpatine, Palpatine in the world in between worlds? Don't fuck with Ahsoka. Incredible shit. Though Lux ultimately leaves her in an escape pod at the end, this is like the Clone Wars version of ghosting, I guess. He can't yeah. not respond to attacks, so he just goes into the escape pod and jettisons himself into space. They part for some time before their very complex Saw and Stila-aided reunion in season five on Onderon. But they kiss in this episode, and it is, yes, an effort to convince Death Watch of their cover as a couple, but still, the feelings are there. Yeah. And though that kiss is surrounded by treachery and hard truths and choice, it's really one of the rare moments in the entire series where Ahsoka just gets to be a person. You know, in that sense, as well as her willingness to separate herself from the Jedi and to challenge what she's watching unfold in front of her, it is very much a precursor for the defining moments still to come in her arc. Everybody has a Lux Bonetary in their life. Oh my God. Just like a rich, pretty asshole <laughs> who does not value your emotions oh. and toys with you. It's tough that when he finally comes into himself and matures, he's like interested in another person at that point. Very, very tough stuff. And also like some of the realest shit. We've all been there. (laughs) Number six, battling the Inquisitors after her fulcrum reveal. Hell yeah. Slight aside, we need different code names. It can't always be fulcrum. I like that they... Only, only use title? fulcrum? Well, because it helps to protect their identity. I guess you're right. You know, it's like if multiple people are weaving in and out of... It's like the Dread Pirate Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> Rebels, the thrilling Inquisitor battle takes place in season two, episode 10. And what, what a season and what a stretch of that oh season this is. The future of the Force. Amazing. But there's a steady drumbeat of anticipation to get to to that point in that episode, beginning with, of course, Ahsoka's reveal as Fulcrum, the Rebel Alliance agent. Rebels gives us another Fulcrum too, Callus. but in the season one finale, we learn that Ahsoka is operating under the codename and working with our beloved Spectres, and when she reveals herself, she informs them that they're part of a larger rebellion that is spreading across the galaxy. It's when we really start to get a sense of the scope of things. And many fans had suspected that Ahsoka was going to prove to be Fulcrum, and her introduction into Rebels began this really miraculous and meaningful balancing act, giving us time with the characters we'd already invested in and already loved and were deeply worried about and Mm -hmm. wanted to see again. And remember, Ahsoka is not in season six of Clone Wars, and season seven, when this episode of Rebels aired— was just a dream for people. It was not only not a month away from airing as it is now, it hadn't been announced. So this was a massive, massive reunion for Ahsoka and Star Wars fans. Every moment with her, like her early season two reunion with Rex, surviving, cherished, 
And now grizzled Amazing. clone troopers. Also a contender for this list. Yes. Just is right. like a drop of water after a long walk through the Ahsoka desert. And it's all balanced with not skewing the formula to take us away from our new characters for so long. A calculus the showrunners took seriously and have spoken about a great deal. In Clone Wars, Ahsoka was the new character, the one we had to acclimate to amid our time with familiar friends like Anakin, Padme, and Obi-Wan, and R2. And it took time for mm-hmm. the for audience to warm up to her. Yep. Here... She's the old hand. It's like coming home after yep. a while, the one we've missed, but also the one who can't take us away from the new protagonist for too long. And that's notable not only because it's hard, but because the Rebels team absolutely nails it. And that is probably initially best exemplified here in the future of the Force when Ahsoka duels the seventh sister and fifth brother who are attempting to steal four sensitive babies from their families for who else? Palpy. The ghost crew is leading the rescue effort and doing their damnedest, but it is, it's hard. It's hard work and it's not going super well. Kanan and Zeb are both down. Ezra is trying to duel with his lightsaber in one hand, darling little pipey, cranky pipey in the other. And he gets knocked out in a hurry and it seems like, seems like it's over. And just then Ahsoka emerges through a mist of white light. More of that cloaked in white imagery for her, by the way. The music changes, the score just soars in, and our hope, right along with it, it is an absolutely crackling, energizing, spine-tingling moment. And she ignites her sabers, reveals herself to the Inquisitors, which is no small thing, because remember, their job is to hunt Jedi. And she is an unbelievably high-value target as Anakin's former apprentice. The amount of information, firsthand information and knowledge that she would have about Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, would make her someone that the Empire absolutely would need to take off the board. Yes. And it's incredible to see her in action in this moment. The Rebels' action scenes are, like, amazing. Lightsabers swirling, moving like the wind, and her skill is mesmerizing. And even— It really is. She is even more refined and fierce than she was in Clone Wars. Not just a physical force— She's smart and observant. Yes. I know why you want the children, she tells the seventh sister, who replies hysterically with, well, well, who doesn't want to be a mother? Honestly, great bit from the seventh sister. (laughs) Ahsoka connects these dots to Palpatine's pursuit of Force-sensitive children during the Clone Wars, and she knows what's going on. Yes. Ahsoka's battle with the sixth brother, a different Inquisitor, in her novel, Ahsoka, is also a huge moment in her arc, and we're going to talk about that battle, and the ramifications of it more in a few minutes here. But she takes down these two here boldly, bowing to them, almost trolling them, and then saying, you are beaten. And she's prideful in a good and cool way. It's fun to watch. It's like watching the Chiefs come back against the Texans (laughs) just with ease. You never doubt it. And even though it winds up not being true in that moment that they're fully beaten— This is the instance when we really start to understand how Ahsoka is going to fit into this new story, how she's going to fit into Rebels. Your capture will please Lord Vader, the seventh sister says, right before Ahsoka escapes. Yep. Sorry about that. Number five, leading the youngling gathering on Ilum, a highlight of the Clone Wars. I love it. A delight. The Clone Wars season five, episodes six, seven, and eight. It goes some wild places, folks. The Gathering, (laughs) a test of strength and bound for rescue. As we've discussed several times in the past of this podcast, Ahsoka's evolution from brash hotshot prospect to assured uncompromising leader is one of the purest delights in Clone Wars. 
And in this stretch of episodes, which we discussed at length in our Clone Wars pod, we see how even though she's still a Padawan, she's gone from student to respected teacher. She's the one who tells Petro, Gennody, Biff, Katuni, Zat, and Gunji. You're sweet, Gunji. I love Gunji. He's so cute. Precious. That they're heading to the gathering to find their kyber crystals, searching inside of themselves for their own weaknesses and vulnerabilities, then constructing their lightsabers and new sense of self-assurance alike. For Jedi, she tells them before they embark for Ilum, there is no greater challenge or honor. So cool. And Ahsoka's own path will lead her back to Ilum in her novel as she pursues finding her own new kyber crystals and in the pursuit of that begins to understand the extent of the Empire's nefarious efforts to bend the Force to its will and corrupt and destroy the Jedi Order on Ilum drilling underground. But here in Season 5 of Clone Wars, it is essential world building. And yeah, this is this is really new lore, stuff. Fleshing out the lore. And Ahsoka's at the center of it. Mm-hmm. There with Yoda as the guide for our mm. younglings. They idolize her. They want to learn from her. They trust her. They don't want to let her down. Crucially, they want to protect her, which they do after she is captured by Hondo. We should just carve out an hour in the Rebels pod to talk about Hondo. Is this the most annoying thing he's ever done? Oh, taking Ahsoka prisoner? Yeah, definitely. It's like, I mean, Melch might have some thoughts on this, but from my perspective, yes. It's just like, are you are you serious, my dude? Come on. He has a good heart. He really he, does. I, it comes out at the right times, but yeah. this is like- It comes out when there's Hondo, profit involved. <laughs> and he takes her prisoner after his attack, his pirate's attack on the Jedi cruiser where Ahsoka and the younglings and your boy, Professor Young, were. And Ahsoka ends up with Hondo in his power. Her- efforts before she ended up there to save the younglings, no matter what the cost was for her own life, were really remarkable. And that was something they wanted to repay. This arc highlights many of Ahsoka's most admirable attributes, her courage in the face of fire, her ability to connect to a nominal foe like Hondo, Uh. her capacity to inspire, as she does with the younglings, who go to great circus-joining lengths. And what a twist this is, by the way phenomenal act considering how little time they had to rehearse. Very little time, but you know, fluid, but they are natural acrobats. They've been working together. Of course, force sensitive gives them an edge in this regard (laughs) and her wisdom, which when paired with her tenacity makes her a rare hero. Wonderful stuff. Number four, Ahsoka's dark side conversion, death and resurrection on Mortis. Tough stuff. As we talked about in our Clone Wars pod, the Mortis arc is riveting mythology and lore building, a really indispensable installment for understanding the nature of the Force, the relationship between choice and destiny in Star Wars, and, of course, Anakin's path to his fall. It is also an arc about friendship Mm -hmm. and the ties that bind, because despite facing terrifying foreign horrors that they cannot understand because they have never seen them before— Obi-Wan and Ahsoka refuse to leave Anakin behind. In Altar of Mortis, that results in the son capturing Ahsoka and, as Anakin in actuality pushes to go find a rescuer, taunting her with visions of Anakin abandoning her. This guy. When Ahsoka remains true to Anakin, the son emerges from his disguise and bites her, infecting her with the dark side, pushing her insecurities to the surface as she faces Anakin. Is there not like a shot for this? In a horrifying moment, the son, no longer needing Ahsoka, taps her on the head, 
squelching her life force, killing her. Terrible. As Anakin desperately tries to save Ahsoka, the daughter in mortal peril passes her life through Ahsoka. Big for a few reasons. Yes. First, death and resurrection have proven pivotal yes. in Star Wars both in Legends and increasingly in the primary canon. And though this is not the same brand of force healing that we see Baby Yoda use in The Mandalorian or Ben and Rey use in The Rise of Skywalker, essence transfer and other methods of restoration tap into the deepest levels of the power of the force and the nature of your relationship to the ability to wield that kind of power. And what's more, this is where a connection between the daughter and Ahsoka begins. Yes. The father, daughter, and son play an essential role in the final season of Rebels, in addition to this arc in Clone Wars, as guardians of the portal to the world between worlds. They are embodiments of the Force. And Mirai, the sweet little cover, the bird associated with the daughter, just hanging out with Ahsoka <laughs> throughout Rebels. <laughs> And given that the daughter is also the embodiment of the light side and Ahsoka is associated so strongly with light side imagery later on in her arc, white sabers, white cloak, white mist, etc., that connection feels even deeper. And it may be stronger than we've even yet come to understand. Maybe we'll learn more about this. And of course, Ahsoka's light side associations are not directly aligned with the Jedi later in her arc. But of course, the daughter is not aligned with the Jedi either. And then, of course, there's what this moment means for the Ahsoka-Anakin-Obi-Wan mm. bond. Anakin's own dark side journey will continue in this arc with his visions of his own future. But here with Ahsoka in danger and Obi-Wan imploring him to remain focused, fight. Yes. Their bond is on full and wondrous display. Just like my sweet Obi. Oh. Number three, purifying her new kyber crystals. Kyber! Kyber! even a crystal, to create her signature white lightsabers. The white blades were first revealed to us in Rebels, but in the novel Ahsoka, which came out in 2016, ah. we finally learned how Ahsoka came to possess these weapons, yes. more accurately, to create them. Yes. And it's definitely one of the most incredible lightsaber origin stories in the saga, a Amazing. tremendous bit of character and lore building, and a symbolically rich one as well. Ahsoka previously deployed a green blade and a yellow-green Shoto blade. In Ahsoka, she buries these, which she'd previously lost and which Anakin had returned to her, still described as green, to, in essence, fake her and Rex's death mm -hmm. after the Siege of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. In the trailers for the upcoming Season 7 of Clone Wars, yes! though, she's wielding blue blades, mm. which is very interesting. Extremely. Extremely. Regardless of what role those blue blades ultimately play in how we reconcile the blue and the green and yellow green from the novel, we know that she eventually ends up crafting the white blades after besting the sixth brother in her novel, one of the Inquisitors hunting the Jedi after Order 66. And in her novel, she survives his execution attempts and eventually kills him by using the force yep. and overloading his lightsaber so that they explode and kill him. Wow! Let me just... Uh, so we've talked a lot about like certain Jedis that, and, and oh, Siths that never win fights. Ahsoka wins every fight. She's batting like 800. She wins every fight. First ballot Hall of Famer. Every fight. <laughs> I would call the fight with Darth a win, actually. 
It's, yes. I mean, it's like a aided tie. by Ezra, as we'll get to in a moment. Aided but by Ezra, she but she is she holding was, her own. It was going to be a double death, I think, unless Ezra did what he did. And I, I think you could argue that Anakin is more shaken than she is. He's the shook Oh, he's one. fucked up. He's yeah. absolutely shook. When he says her name, it's oh my god, a crushing moment. <laughs> and she had been drawn to those sabers, hearing the call of the Kyber crystals within. Remember. The crystals choose the Jedi, just as the wand chooses the wizard. It Thanks, is not Nick. always clear why. And these crystals called to her. The crystals had been bled, imbued with pain and evil to create the Inquisitor's red blade. And when they came into Ahsoka's possession, she knew both that they were meant for her and that she needed to use the force in order to heal these yes. crystals. When she did, so cool. she crafted her new weapons. Using scrap metal, she'd previously felt compelled to collect to encase the crystals she'd healed. Amazing. In Ahsoka, she tells Bale... I restored them. I freed them. The red crystals were corrupted by the dark side when those who wielded them bent them to their will. They call it making the crystal bleed. That's why the blade is red. Amazing. The look of those two white lightsabers is absolutely iconic. The method for crafting the blades and healing the bled crystals is one of the absolute coolest bits of force mythology that we get. And the symbolic significance of the white blades is powerful and deliberate. On StarWars.com's Rebels Recon Inside Fire Across the Galaxy, Dave Filoni said that her blades are white because, quote, she's not a Jedi and she's not evil, to kind of reflect her non-affiliation. It is helpful and important to reinforce that not all Force users have to be Jedi or Sith, have to be aligned with one of those camps. There are many ways to be Good. And there are many ways to fight for what you believe in. Trailblazer, Ahsoka Tano. Thank you. Star Wars is so often about binaries, as we have discussed time and time again. And here, we are reminded that the world contains a lot of in-betweens. It also reinforces something that we all feel about Ahsoka, that she is unique. Yes. While Star Wars has long since grown beyond the initial red-blue binary Mm -hmm. and even the blue-green-red primary set, to include yellow, purple, and orange, and more, Ahsoka's white sabers stand out as particularly rare, much like the dark saber, unique for being the only black saber in the story. For many fans, Ahsoka is without peer, and these white lightsabers are a powerful visual reinforcement of that belief. She's connected to people and to causes, but she defies categorization. Their respective insecurities about losing each other, not having each other's trust, are on full display in this episode, but so is the power of their bond and affection for each other. Number two. I mean, chills. Number two, chills. The duel with Darth Vader on Malachor. The only reason that this is not number one is because it feels a little better to put a moment when Anakin is still Anakin at number one. It's too painful for him to be Vader. That's the only reason this is number two. These are 1A and 1B, and the difference between them is almost non-existent. Two incredible moments. I'll just, like, this two-part episode is... Just chill-inducing. Astonishing. Yeah. So that's the season two finale of Rebels, Twilight of the Apprentice, part one, and Twilight of the Apprentice, part two. If you are a Star Wars fan, do not miss this episode. No. It's in the running for the best Star Wars TV episode of all time. Yeah. Period. In the running for among the best things in Star Wars. Period. And we will be talking about it at length in our upcoming Rebels pod. So we'll keep it a bit quicker here. Come back for more soon. Right. We'll, we'll hit the highlights here and return to it at length, we promise. One of the foundational elements of Ahsoka's arc from the moment she leaves the Jedi Order on is that she has no idea what became of Anakin. Right. 
does not know that he turned, does not know that he became Vader. Unbelievable. Throughout her novel, which takes place in the aftermath of Order 66, she uses the Force to search for him and laments how she can't feel him out there anymore. Devastating. And she feels his absence keenly. It alters her life. But! Gutting. When in season two, episode two, The Siege of Lothal, part two, we can feel that Ahsoka suspects, even knows on some yes. level that Vader is her master. Yes. She's in denial, but she's also still desperately hoping that it isn't true. And when they <gasps> face each other in the air near the end of that episode, the sensation of reality is too strong to ignore. Anakin says, the apprentice lives, indicating <sighs> he also didn't know what right. happened to her. Amazing. And Ahsoka screams, eyes widening before passing out. Oh my God. Another absolutely essential stone on the pathway to their duel comes in season two, episode 18, Shroud of Darkness, when Ezra and Ahsoka watch an old instructional hologram of Anakin and reflect on his prodigious skill and impact and how incredible he was and what he meant to people. And the visual of this scene is so striking because the hologram, of course, is translucent. And it's almost like Ahsoka is gazing at Anakin's ghost. Later in that episode at the Jedi Temple on Lothal, Ezra, Kanan, and Ahsoka all experience a test. Ahsoka's is a vision of Anakin asking where she was when he needed her. That morphs into Vader looming behind her, breathing in his iconic fashion. You abandoned me. You failed me. Do you know what I've become? It is heart-wrenching. Oh, my God. (gasps) And it all builds toward the season two finale, the showdown on Malachar, where Vader arrives as Ezra and Maul have found the Sith holocron inside the subterranean Sith temple. And Ahsoka emerging to protect Ezra and challenge Vader, accepting what that means now, is one of the greatest and most poignant duels in the entire Star Wars saga. The visual of Vader standing on top of his tie as it like comes down is just like, oh shit. Also just the way that every sequence with Vader and Rebels is shot from above so that he towers and looms. And she seems so small in his shadow and watching her burst through that is just, it's unbelievable. And they are, on the one hand, stunningly, but on the other hand, totally perfectly, of course they would be, matched in skill. Mm -hmm. You know, Anakin is the chosen one, so no one should be his equal, but... Their dance, the fact that they are so well-matched, reflects not only that he trained her, she is his Padawan, his student, but that they taught each other, that they know each other that well to be able to anticipate and mirror their movements. When Ahsoka manages to slice open Vader's helmet with a fierce charge, we and she see the gray skin of the man underneath Anakin still. (sighs) In irrefutably... One of the most powerful and agonizing moments oh in Star God. Wars, in Star Wars Period. at large. Period. He looks at her through his one own eye, not the mask, yes. and calls her name in his own voice. And she calls to him, saying his name, telling oh him that God. she won't leave him again. It kills me. It's, it's, it kills me. It's really, it's really good. It's just <gasps> an absolute highlight. And then the fleeting glimpse of his humanity and the bond they once shared that defines so much of their lives flickers away. And Vader takes back control, yes. saying, then you will die. Devastating. Saber. It's like watching Anakin die all over yeah. again. It really is. Ahsoka, realizing what this means, pushes with the Force, pushes Ezra away, and we don't see 
They have no idea. We don't know her fate other than seeing a glimpse of this shadowy Ahsoka at the end of the episode mm-hmm. walking into a void in the temple, but we don't know what happened between the moment when she pushed Ezra away and until that. Incredible setup, by the way. Phenomenal. And we see, similarly, Vader limping out of the temple. And later, in season four, again, this is season two, in season four's absolutely gorgeous and iconic A World Between Worlds, we realize that Ahsoka survived because Ezra, in the future, pulled her through a portal into the world, pulled her through the Deathly Hallows symbol, basically. (laughs) Yes. Into the world between worlds after entering himself through the father-son-daughter gateway at the Jedi Temple on Mm. Lothal. In that realm, Ahsoka evades Palpatine as well. The list of people, like you said, she goes toe-to-toe with, which technically, from her timeline perspective here, counts as part of the same duel. So she managed to hang with Vader and Palpatine in one fight. The visuals are mesmerizing. The choreography and strength is astonishing. And the emotional stakes as high as anything you see in Clone Wars or Rebels. This is one of the foundational relationships in the entire story. And here, both parties had to stare the hard truth of how it fell apart right in the scarred, unmasked face. It's just incredible. Please watch it if you haven't. It's number one. Ahsoka leaving the Jedi Order. It's just still, because still of how, unmatched. Just because how young she is and the kind of like real moral strength it took to make this decision. Yes. We obviously spoke about this moment at length during our Clone Wars pod, so we will keep it by our standard quick here. Relatively sure. quick here. You can hear our longer thoughts on this in the Clone Wars episode. But to recap, Ahsoka choosing to leave the Jedi Order in the season five finale, The Wrong Jedi, is one of the most emotionally wrenching moments in all of Star Wars. That moment concludes a four-episode arc in which Ahsoka is framed for a bombing at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, arrested, pursued, tried, and ultimately expelled from the Jedi Order. Just an all-time tough look for my guys, <laughs> the Jedi. What are we doing? <laughs> what the fuck? What is happening here? Awful. Can we use the Force to figure it out? Jesus. Yoda, Mace, and company only realized their mistake because Anakin never stopped believing her and never stopped trying to prove her innocence, ultimately leading to his discovery that Barris, whom Ahsoka saved from Geonosian brain worms in season two. You're always looking to let Barris off the hook I guess you're because right. of the brain worms. I just feel like, you know, what happened with the brain worms? We don't know what to do. Anyway, We've all been through shit. Sure. Well, <laughs> worms in the brain is very tough. Was the real traitor and the mastermind behind the attack, having grown disillusioned with the Jedi Order? Listen, who doesn't grow disillusioned? But this is the wrong way to go about it. Come on, Barris. Come on, Barris. Ahsoka's effort to evade detection while she was on the run also included a brief but really fun alliance with Ventress, our gal, Asajj Ventress. One of Star Wars' many delightful odd couple pairings, which allowed Ahsoka's gambler mentality, that gambler dice-rolling spirit to really shine through. You have to take a chance sometimes. And all of it leads to the council eventually offering Ahsoka her place again and her rejecting it. And as we talked about on the Clone Wars pod, when Anakin chases her outside, that stunning vista, the temple behind them, the horizon, her future ahead of her, the shadow, the light, telling her, that she's made a mistake, imploring her to stay. She explains that she just can't. She can't go back to that former life. That is over for her. 
can't be part of the thing that she no longer believes in anymore. And with Ahsoka, as we talked about today, she never followed blindly. Yeah, never, ever. That's part of what's so appealing about her character. But this experience made her realize that now she can't follow it all. And she can't follow even if that means leaving Anakin, the most important relationship in her life, behind. It's a crushing moment for their bond and for Anakin's arc and for his life. We can't help but wonder if things could have been different if Ahsoka had been there to help him stay in the light. I think yes. I think clearly yes. And when Anakin finally says, I understand more than you realize, I understand wanting to walk away from the order. And she says, I know. Oh, my God. We appreciate more than ever how deeply they saw each other. And as we've talked about, I, this clearly means that she knows about Padme. She knows about the whole thing. She understands. She understands what's in his heart yeah. and what he is struggling with every day. It's simultaneously an awe-inspiring showcase for Ahsoka's agency and her courage. It's not easy to walk away from something like the Jedi Order or anything that has defined so much of your life. You know, that had been everything for Ahsoka since she was three. All she'd ever really known. And realizing that she would be Ahsoka, that she would have worth no matter what, even independent of the Jedi, took tremendous, really aspirational strength. It's a visually stunning and emotionally dynamic moment that has stood the test of time as a definitive point in her journey and a tremendous achievement in Star Wars, both forever changing and uniting two characters that we cherish. Yes. Doubt and shame go toe-to-toe with conviction and purpose. And around it all, love. I'm going to cry. She's a great character. That's ah! <laughs> really, they crushed it. Jason? Yes? When I was out there alone, all I had was your training and the lessons you taught me. And the lessons that today's winner taught me. Every episode, we're going to honor the character, person, thing, rally the troops, advance the cause. And today, the winner of our Medal of Bravery is... David Filoni! Listen, uh, Dave Filoni has given Star Wars fans a lot of great gifts. Yes. But Ahsoka is among the greatest of those and most precious. They're truly. And he, he clearly feels that way about her, too. He's, he really does. He is as passionate about her and as protective of her as most fans. One of the great joys of consuming fantasy stories, as we talk about here all the time on Binge Mode, is building community with others who share your passions recognizing that Dave Filoni feels as strongly about Ahsoka as we do and realizes how grateful people are for the way that he has cared for her arc is just really, really cool and rare. He's spoken so thoughtfully yeah. over the years about her creation, her future, and every step of her journey along the way. He takes it seriously, and that's manifested in something magical that means a lot to Star Wars fans. She's yes. become iconic in her realms and in Star Wars at large. A true testament to his vision and passion and to creating something lasting. And to that end, he has done as much as anyone to keep the dream of more Ahsoka He is alive. not letting it go no. at all. After Rebels, shepherding, of course, the Ahsoka-centric season seven of Clone Wars that we're about to get. And a neat thing he does is he shares his personal sketches of Ahsoka on social media. He even did so as recently as in the wake of Rise of Skywalker when her inclusion in the voices that Rey heard, her introduction to the Star Wars films at last, though. We're waiting for more. Left many fans to deduce that by 35 ABY, she had died because Rey is hearing the voices of 
dead Jedi. Filoni addressed that with a sketch of Ahsoka and Gandalf, Hello. famously reborn as Gandalf the White, clad in white robes, after many thought he had died. Hmm. Ahsoka, of course, comes to us in the Rebels epilogue as a very Gandalf-esque Ahsoka the White, not only carrying her white sabers, but That's wearing right. a white robe and carrying what appears to be a white staff. Incredible look. Deliberate. Incredible look. Oh, she's Ahsoka. crushing it. From snips to a wizened space wizard, protect Ahsoka at all costs. But ready yet, let her protect you. Please. Well, friends, how are we supposed to learn if you won't let us share the risk? Just as we keep telling Isaac Lee and Zach Cram, our indispensable producer and researcher. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you're as excited as we are to hop back into the speeder and continue to explore the galaxy. And that you'll join us again next time as the Binge Mode Star Wars adventure continues with our Rebels pod. Until then, remember, in our experience, just when you think you understand the Force, you find out how little you actually know. Ahsoka trusted you and you betrayed her. Well, betrayed is strong. And first of all, no one ever checked up on me after the brain worms. I had the brain worms. They were literally in my brain, inside of my brain, making me do stuff. I was possessed by the brain worms. And then people were supposed to study the brain worms to find out what the effects of the brain worms are. And nobody, everybody was just like, fine, that happened to Barris. She had worms in her brain, but now that's over and we don't ever have to look into it. So I can't be held responsible for the various things that I do, Anakin.